Welcome to another episode of VR Download, a weekly show where we discuss hardware and industry news and all sorts of fun stuff from the Upload Virtual Studios. And uh, let's see who we have on the panel with me today. Hello, everyone. Ian Hamilton here. And uh, thank you for listening in and tuning into us week after week. I'm David Heaney, and I hope this stream is working because I had to reinstall Windows this weekend. So hopefully everything's working. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, are you ready to dig into the news today? I think it's going to be a fun episode. Of course, I say that every week because, well, every week it is a fun episode. Let's get started. First, is Facebook upping Oculus Quest 2's base storage to 128 gigabytes? Hmm, Facebook may soon increase it. From 64 to 128 now, I bought the 256 right off the bat because I did not think that 64 was going to be enough for my level of consumption. What do you think, Ian? Did you get the 64 or did you get the 128? Yeah, I'm on 64. I assumed I would get on a high-speed internet connection uh, over the life of it and just needed to save that money, but I am hurting. I, I want to get that higher storage option in there pretty quick because it's it, – it, very quickly fills up with the way we do our work. What? Yes. Yeah, so, so on July 8th, we saw an anonymous poster to the image sharing site Imgur show a 128 gigabyte Quest 2 model. So to be clear, the current ones that we know of are there is the 64 gigabyte Quest 2 at 299 and the 256 at 399. Later that week, GamerGen, a French outlet, spotted that in a French electronics retailer, LDLC, had listed this 128 gigabyte model. And the interesting thing is it was at the same price, 349 euro, as the 64. So that suggests that this isn't going to be a middle tier model that Facebook brings in at $50 between. It really does look like, if all of this information is true, that Facebook's going to replace the 64 gigabyte base model with 128. And so this week, we, we saw a third sourcing on this, which was that in a, a manga advert that was advertising Quest 2, they showed the storage options as 128 and 256. And as you're alluding to, Ian, we're seeing bigger and bigger games coming. We're seeing Facebook promise bigger games like Resident Evil, like whatever they're working on with Ubisoft and any other investments they might be making in game studios. It's going to get to the point where if you want to play more than one or two of these big games at once, or you have a lot of little games on your quest, you're really going to want more storage. So it would make sense. I would almost go as far as to say it was a mistake for them to launch a games console at 64 gigabytes because there is no SD card. That is a kind of big point of contention here. If you are one of those people who's stuck with a 64 gig, Facebook's option here is really uninstall your current games or buy a new one. Although looking on the silver line, maybe if someone was able to, they could maybe gift it to one of their friends and get the 128 and then they'd be able to play multiplayer. But that depends on each person's circumstance, of course. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to spend too long on this subject because I think the next subjects we're going to get into are so much more interesting. But I did want to go into some of the things I've noticed here. And yeah, a storage is going to be an issue. Vader Immortal 1, 2, and 3, if you have those installed, that's 10 gigabytes of space on your quest. Mist is 10 gigabytes, almost 10 gigabytes. Walking Dead is 8.4 gigabytes. And then, uh, Heating, you pointed this out, that Resident Evil 4 is 12 gigabytes on the Switch. And obviously, we don't know how big it'll be when it gets to uh, Quest, but that's still massive. And then, of course, yeah, the other games upcoming that are going to be huge amounts of storage. 
The thing I wanted to comment there, or the analysis I, I sort of wanted to add, is that I'm curious how this will fit into Facebook's sort of refurbishment program. That I've seen a lot of people comment there, like wanting a refund if they had just gotten the 64 gig version. And I don't think that's really realistic, even though I think Apple has done some things like that over the years where they've offered some kind of like compensation if you're within a certain amount of time window of a newer model coming out. You get, you can prove that you made the purchase and get a little bit of something to make it less painful that you missed out on this big upgrade. But more to my thinking is like, what could happen if Facebook does end up somehow buying back some of those 64 gig versions and then reselling them refurbished at perhaps a $200 price point, which they did with the original Quest earlier this year? That would be a, a massive kind of like win for Facebook in driving down the, the, the entry level price. And I'm curious if we'll see something like that. I've been seeing reports that the 64 gigabyte version of the Quest 2 is nowhere to be found. Like you can't purchase it, which always leads me to wonder, did Facebook stop producing the 64 gigabyte knowing in anticipation that the 128 would replace it? We reached out to them for comment and they uh, said no comment at this time. They have nothing to add. And, really, you know, surprise. that was, <laughs> yeah, but we give them that option to say something before an article goes out, just in case they want to clarify that 64 is going to be around for a while. And so mm -hmm. they, they didn't take that opportunity with this. And that's telling in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Heaney, I was going to ask you a, a basic hardware question. Does the Quest 2 support OTG support? It does for some devices. Carmack was actually talking about this on Twitter one day. Essentially, they've been, it started with a lot of drivers for a lot of generic type of USB devices, but over time, they've been stripping them away, apparently, to see if space in the OS and optimize everything up. So there are a few devices that when the Quest first came out would work over USB OTG, but now these days they don't anymore, which is quite disappointing. I know where you're going with this with USB storage. And I, if I mm -hmm. recall correctly, Carmack was commenting that USB storage takes a ridiculous amount of power. And that was one of the problems. And it does. And for folks who are used to OTG, is it stands for on the go, I, I think is what it is. This is a USB device that can plug in to the port on the side of the headset or in a tablet. If you have an Android tablet, you're familiar with this concept. And it gives you the ability to have external plugged in storage. But as we're saying here, and it's very true, it does eat up your power. And so you would almost need to have a secondary, I know that there are USB plugs that give, allow for secondary power to plug in to power it separate. And, and there's a bunch of different options, but I've been wondering why that hasn't been a thing yet for VR, because it feels like that would be something that's, oh, I want to play Half-Life Alex. I plug it in. Well, that was a bad example. I want to play Walking <laughs> Dead and I just plug it in. See what I did there though? See, where, where's Half-Life Alex on the Quest 2? Yeah. No, there's all sorts of options that they could use for external storage or even just adding an SD card. Everybody flew away from that, that concept of having the extra SD card in devices. I just don't understand that it seems so logical to me yeah the vi focus 3 had it and i'm fairly sure the original vi focus models all had it i can't remember off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure at least one of the picos has it if not all of them so it really is it's one of those things where facebook's probably a cost saving but b there's also issues with the storage speed of sd cards sometimes 
if you have the cheapest ones, it's not going to work well. But I will say there are a lot of people who are a bit too skeptical about microSD. There are the faster, more expensive ones that would easily be able to run a lot of VR games, I think. They could maybe even figure out something where the stuff that needs to be accessed very quickly is put onto the main storage and some of it's on the SD card. I remember some Android games doing that a few years ago. But I really think what we need here, if Facebook is going to stick to its strategy of selling it like this is, as Ian mentioned, some sort of upgrade program, some way that you can trade in your current device and get some value back from it. Because Facebook strategy like this is fine if they're going to release a headset every two, three, four years. But if we're going to see a pace of hardware upgrades, even with little things like storage like this, I think they need to bring along their buyers with it, you know? And I'm noticing James in our comments here saying that the... 64 gigabytes seems to be available at Best Buy. I did do that check this morning before we ran the story to see where it was available and where it isn't. And Walmart only has it through a third-party seller. They don't have it through their main uh, store. Best Buy was the one place I was still able to find it. And the key indicator, though, for me was when you go to Oculus.com and you get a notify me uh, prompt instead of the actual ability to purchase it, at least in the United States. I think we've been paying attention for a couple of years now and it seems like oculus.com is the best indicator for what facebook is planning to do next with its products because if it goes out there i think it's a pretty good indicator of things and i checked last week when we first heard these kind of rumors about an upgraded unit and it was still in stock uh, a couple of days ago and then as of like in the last few days it's gone out on the the main oculus.com website mm-hmm I suppose that this will be something that'll show up in official stores at some point, and folks will be able to take advantage of that. And we are certain that, I guess we're not certain of anything yet, but the assumption is that this will come out at the same price point that the 64 gigabyte headset was at. Is that what we're assuming here? The French retailer... LDLC had it listed at the same price as the 64 gig and they no longer sell the 64 gig. So it it does seem likely that it will be a replacement rather than a mid-tier. Just to say something controversial, would it be logical for Facebook to ask for an extra $25-$50 for the upgraded version to 128? (laughs) It it makes sense. Uh, it, It would make sense if Facebook's larger strategy wasn't to drive this into lower prices all the time and get it into as many hands as possible. And in lieu of other upgrades that they can really muster, this would be a massive one to retain that 299 price point while doubling storage. It's like a very clear indication that they are so dedicated to improving the experience constantly, even if they can't do it with a completely new hardware system all the time. Upping that storage so soon after release would be an obvious big selling point on their part i'm not sure they really need to charge more that the cost of flash towards this does come down every year and i note that the new switch pro or what is it called the switch oled model actually doubled the storage as well and even in bloomberg's report about its margins they said the only actual price increase here is the oled screen so i think just as you see every few years mobile phones double their storage as the cost comes down it's probably not adding anything significant to facebook's margin maybe a few cent but nothing significant yeah, and size-wise, like bulk, it's not like it's adding a whole another three-and-a-half-inch hard drive inside. It's just a little tiny little – does that work with yeah, finger tracking? Okay. Yeah, and then James in the chat said maybe the Pro will be announced soon. So maybe this is some form of 
precursor to adding the pro to the lineup mm. quest 2 pro that's an interesting maybe. idea that like if they went and made a deal with their manufacturer to buy the storage options for the pro that could have enabled them to buy enough stock of the right storage options for their next level device of course the the comment from facebook saying that the the pro will not be a 2021 device but still this would be the right timing to get your manufacturing in order for the future Absolutely. People don't realize sometimes that this stuff takes at least a year or two of planning to get this product out. It's not like they just snap their fingers and here's the product two weeks later. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And with the global chip shortage right now, we're seeing lead times for these sort of components go out to 24 months and beyond. So it actually is entirely possible, yeah, that the Pro will be 128 and 256 and that they're just placing the orders now so they can start from there. Though it's hard to tell. And I, I don't expect any brand new headset anytime soon just because of that chip situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so do you think we've thoroughly examined this and move on to the next piece of news i do too all right let's move on to the second piece of news coming out of valve i guess steam deck has connectivity for vr but not the performance. Valve's handheld gaming system is called Steam Deck, and the company is pitching it as an open PC that can connect with any hardware. I'm going to say that one more time, (laughs) any hardware. So, Ian, take this in the most obvious direction it can go. Yeah, all right. So they've shown a dock for this thing, and it's uh, got DisplayPort on it. It's got USBs. They, of course, said that the dock is selling separately. They're showing this... uh, screenshot here of using various accessories with the thing the comment that they actually said that the actual quote that valve said is that it's it will it has all the ports you can connect it to the connectivity you could connect it to the devices you want but the performance is tuned for this handheld form factor or connecting to a flat screen we've got Guy godin the developer of virtual desktop in our comments uh, here today saying, quote, the Steam Deck will be useful to play pancake PC games through virtual desktop, not really for PC VR games as it's not powerful enough for the majority of games. It's a great portable PC. And we've got the dock up there showing HDMI, Ethernet, USBs uh, of all sorts, as well as DisplayPort on there. Yeah, this isn't going to be a fun experience with VR out of the box. Yet, I still have some very strong thoughts here on what this kind of says about the future. I've got, I think, yeah, I've got a couple tweets I'm going to put up there on Stevie and we'll talk about a little bit here in a minute. Heaney, do you have any thoughts on this? As a portable PC or as a VR machine? Hmm. <laughs> either either hmm. one. I have thoughts both ways, but they're very, diff- they're very different, I would say. I, I, I think this is an excellent portable PC, specifically because it's running it. 1200 by 800 and that means it can drive these kind of high fidelity experiences but once you try to pair that with a headset that's running four five six seven times as many pixels as that i i don't think that's going to really work as well mm-hmm. i was thinking about this this whole concept of a dock and a dock usually indicates that it's plugged into a wall and it's stationary And so ultimately, if you're going to try to run VR on this thing, I've thought about this a hundred different ways. And I've come to the conclusion that trying to do VR on this 
using this dock plugged into the wall is essentially trying to use an underpowered PC to run VR. Am I looking at that incorrectly? No, I think that's a fair thing. Uh, of course, you can tweak your resolution settings. You could perhaps turn on reprojection to get you some of the way there towards a decent VR experience. But still, you're not going to want to run the higher end experiences on this. You would be still wanting to run the bare bones, minimal things that are tuned for very low settings. So which headsets, because are we going to be able to install Oculus runtimes and everything on this machine? Yeah, so by default, it runs SteamOS, which is their variant of Linux, sorry, their distro of Linux. But you can actually, this is an open PC and Valve is really stressed in their marketing and their communication so far. You can do whatever you want with this. You can wipe SteamOS off and you can run uh, Windows on it. You can install Windows. And yes, you could. The other thing is, this actually does have Proton, Valve's, system, Valve's compatibility layer, so you can run Windows apps on on even the SteamOS. Now, what I would say about that is I have a laptop running Linux, and I have tried Proton with games, things like the Age of Empires and uh, Rise of Nations, games like that. It's already enough of a headache itself, but then to add VR onto that as well, would be a bit of a mess. So I really think if you were going to, if you really wanted to run VR on this thing, you would want to wipe SteamOS and get Windows running on it. I'm sure some people will get it running well in SteamOS for some very basic apps, but I would say it would require quite a lengthy process and quite a lot of troubleshooting. I think the only, it's weird to talk about this because this thing is more powerful than an Oculus Quest 2. This thing is pretty much around half as powerful as an Xbox Series S. It's on par with the base PlayStation 4 and the Xbox, Xbox, the original Xbox One. So it is weird to say, oh, this isn't powerful enough for VR while we're sitting in quests. But obviously the difference is there is this entire software ecosystem on quests where these developers have specifically designed these games to run at this speed. If, if Valve made a push for this, if there was a low-cost Linux-compatible VR headset, you could just plug into this thing and it had inside-out tracking, and kind of Valve talked to developers and said, here's some money, port your VR game down to this hardware spec. It's possible that we could see a kind of Quest-like ecosystem come out of this. We actually already saw that in Space Pirate Trainer. Intel, I believe, I'm not sure on the exact financial thing here, but Intel worked with Space Pirate Trainer to get them to make it run on integrated graphics. So I think Space Pirate Trainer would be a perfect game to try on this. And they'd used a lot of the optimization techniques the developers would use when they're bringing their games to Quest in the first place. If we saw a mass move like that from Valve, you could see this thing be a mobile VR system like a Quest is. But I really would say we're not going to see this become a PC VR system in the way that people expect PC VR to be currently. Yeah, he, he seems to have nailed the situation pretty well there. Heaney, do me a favor and tell me in desktop PC terms, what processor, what GPU, RAM, do we know the specs of this thing in normal terms? Yeah, we do. So it's got four AMD Zen 2 cores, AMD's new processors. Now, four is quite low. AMD usually would have 8 and 16 in their gamer spec ones. But to compare that again to the Xbox Series S, that's pretty much exactly half of an Xbox Series S. 
Microsoft's lower end next gen console. So from a CPU perspective, this thing is actually going to be really impressive. Now on the GPU side, they have, it is an RDNA2 chip, but it only is eight compute units. So in something like the Series S, you would have 20 compute units. And even in AMD's recently announced laptop chips, you're going to have more than those eight compute units. And it's paired with 16 gigabytes of RAM. I think in SteamOS mode in Linux, that's going to be fine. In, in Windows, if you're trying to use Windows, that's going to be a bit of a struggle. But from a GPU perspective, that is its weakest point. And again, this isn't a problem when it's running as it's supposed to be in handheld mode because you're driving 1200, sorry, 1280 by 800. And that means you could actually play AAA PC games at low spec, medium spec, even some of them at high spec because it is such a low resolution. The problem is, if we want to scale this into VR, the resolution is going to have to be so low that it would just be a pixelated mess and it would look like DK, Oculus DK1 from 2012. It wouldn't be something practical unless the developers specifically heavily optimized for it with some platform holders. What about foveated rendering, Heaney? And how far would that get us? If you combine reprojection with foveated rendering, do you think we can close the gap here enough? If, if you had a headset that really nailed foveated rendering? I think so. An interesting thing I saw quite recently in the past few months was John Carmack replying to someone on Twitter about this. And he was saying, with the current graphic systems that we have, people are perhaps expecting a little bit too much from foveated rendering. So I don't think it's going to, even if we did have an eye-tracked VR headset that could run foveated rendering on something like this, it's not going to magically still give it the capability to run all these complex shaders and bring the fidelity that we want. And kind of the memory bandwidth is still going to be limited in some senses. But I would definitely like to see it happen. And I would like mm. to see a graphics engine that was designed specifically for that, perhaps even future AMD GPU units that are designed with that in mind. Because the idea of having this portable PC you can take around and it's a handheld and it's your PC and it's your VR machine, it is a dream, but I just don't think the hardware is quite there yet. Mm. The most important question that I have for you, will this run crisis? <laughs> yes. It will. Then there you go. It's already an amazing machine. Now, actually, it, it, this might be a stretch because this is just the way I think about when a new piece of hardware comes out and I try to look and find its fit into the VR world. Could this machine be the advent of x86 mobile VR? Yeah, so I, that's where I want to focus my comments or analysis here. So I've got a couple of quotes that I'm throwing up on Stevie the TV here in our studio. I'm going to read them off for our podcast listeners who aren't able to see it. So Denny Unger, the head of Cloudhead Games, said on Twitter, the more interesting aspect of this is that it potentially ungates a future standalone VR device that supports AAA-level fidelity, no more mobile processor features. So the thing there, the key comment there being ungates, basically offering us a path to having what you just described there, Kyle. And then the other comment here, the other tweet that I noted was the head of Alden Dynamics saying, quote, Steam Deck may very well impact Facebook's VR growth, perhaps even more than a competing standalone headset, given Facebook's strategy to position Quest as a console-like alternative to Switch. I, for the first time, when I looked at this device, and I'm not in the pre-order queue, I didn't want to deal with that headache this week, but I was very tempted 
But for the very first time, I looked at it and thought, there's actually, maybe I could get my kids a Steam device. Maybe I could really get them into Steam PC VR gaming. Or not PC, sorry, not PC VR, PC gaming. My kids, we're all, we're a Switch family. We're playing Switch games as often as we can together. But for the first time, I thought about this and go, Stardew Valley, game that's very kind of fun for us. It's very lightweight, easy for us to get into a co-op game together and build a world together. Lots of things like that are suddenly unbounded by console restrictions in a easy-to-use package are possible with this Steam Deck device. But I'm not ready, right? I'm not ready to invest uh, that and, and, and go into all that, get three of these devices for me and my two kids, us all to have portable handheld PCs. It's just, it's going to take a couple of years. And honestly, it took a couple of years for Nintendo to get there with the Switch Lite, to, for them to uh, get the Switch Lite down to the right price where I could afford to do that for a, a family and get us all into this gaming ecosystem together. And I think that's the, the comment we got from Gabe Newell. Uh, he told IGN, quote, price point was secondary and painful. And we're doing this for the long haul. Those were very important quotes, I think, to hear out of the head of Valve, to hear that they're planning a very large path ahead. And when you think about it, this really makes a ton of sense from Valve to open up PC gaming to a new audience that it really wasn't accessible to before. There's plenty of handhold on-the-go gamers that now have a reason to... They didn't need to go out and get a laptop, but they could actually conceivably get an on-the-go gaming handheld. And so that's the path that we're seeing ungated, as Denny put it, here for the future. Very interesting things if maybe a generation down the line, Valve does something else with this Steam Deck. Yeah, you could see them maybe uh, giving it a much wider screen and then maybe a headset that it slides into. They could call it the Steam Deck VR. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing. I think there's different paths here that, that are very interesting to think about where You've got the docked wired experience seems like it's back one generation. Like we need wireless. It needs to be standing on its own. I just put out on Twitter today this sort of uh, thought in my head that like I'm seeing a fair number of people getting into the haptic vest. And I remember Void. I've talked about it a few times on this podcast, but one of the best, most memorable experiences I've had in VR period was with the Void and their Nicodemus Horror experience, and I'm sitting there cowering from this monster that's coming near me. I've closed my eyes, and I'm just listening to it come to me, and then I feel something digging into my back is what it feels like. And all that was provided by was a simple haptic vibration, but it convinced my brain that like a nail was digging into my back. And still to this day, it was an unparalleled, incredible VR experience. And it starts making me think, like, why can't we slot a Steam Deck into a haptic vest and then have a very low-profile VR headset and have this completely standalone experience? That's a lot of hardware. That's a lot of expense. But it's still, it's a different path to standalone VR that would be quite a step forward from what we have today. Interesting. Coming back to this idea of is this 
a path to seeing a Valve standalone. As you alluded to, Kyle, the question here is, can they get an x86 device that has a reasonable weight and battery life that goes on your head? And my instinct here is no. And just to be clear to any viewers, what we're talking about here is there's two dominant microprocessor architectures today in use. There's x86, which on PC, and then ARM, which in mobile devices. And to greatly oversimplify things, x86 is best for peak performance, whereas ARM is best for battery life and efficiency, given obviously the classes of devices that these kind of processors go into. And something like a Quest 2 is an ARM device. It's running a Snapdragon proce- a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor that is designed by Qualcomm, who designs these processors for watches, for phones, for devices that need to last all day and kind of be carried around for you. Whereas AMD, obviously, they focus very heavily on efficiency in these sort of x86 processors. But at the end of the day, performance is going to be their kind of primary concern. So I think that's a really interesting idea you present, Ian, where this could be something that kind of slots onto a haptic vest or onto a backpack or onto some sort of something that attaches to you rather than your head, because then they can get a large enough battery in it and keep it going for long enough that it's not going to be a problem. And and even the heat problem as well, they're able to dissipate the heat off your torso rather than right onto your head. It's not impossible to think that they could come up with some sort of design that perhaps is much bulkier than something like a Quest 2, but just as, if not more comfortable, some sort of helmet or hat-like design that dissipates the heat. It's a really interesting idea, but again, I wonder, does Valve need to make that jump to ARM and, and bring the Steam ecosystem along with it if it's going to really compete hard in VR? It, it's, it's interesting to think about, and there's no obvious answer here. Uh, that, that's very interesting, Heaney, because which one makes more sense to adjust the hardware to the software needs or adjust the software to the hardware needs? That's a very interesting balance there because you would have to change a lot of stuff. Developers would have a fit if all of a sudden they needed to make all their x86 games run on ARM. That's I can just hear developers' heads exploding if Steam went that route. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I do the best idea. Yeah, it goes back to that original thing that I've talked about a little while ago. That I think the next steps in VR are going to see unexpected team-ups, unexpected pairings of these companies because of this core chip movement uh, going away from this core architecture and Apple building up so much momentum with their their chip efforts. The question is whether Apple is going to partner with others or just try to eat this pie all on its own. They don't do they play well with others and could they really make a, a deal with a company like Valve is obviously an open question. It's just I always wonder whether these other companies really recognize how far ahead Facebook is with its low price strategy here. I look forward to seeing the tweets and the Reddit posts of the folks who get their Steam Deck and end up doing whatever they need to do to get whatever headset that they can plug into it and they can get it to work and they might be measuring their performance at seconds per frame instead of frames per second. (laughs) But hey, it'll be a thing. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. What do you say, guys? Should we jump into this last big yep. piece all right our final news time. for the day but don't worry we'll talk about it at great length here it is 
Facebook cancels mind reading research project. Yes, you heard that correctly. Facebook is sunsetting head mounted mind reading research, instead focusing on its wrist based EMG device. So we are talking about BCI, which is brain computer interface. I am so scared to ask this question, but Ian Heaney, which one of you want to talk first? (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll let Heaney go. I'll just set the background to this story just so everyone's aware if anyone's not. So Facebook first announced its interest in brain reading or mind reading, whatever you want to call it, at FIA 2017. And that was back when they had this division of the company called Building 8. And it was their advanced kind of very far out research things, similar to what Google's X and Moonshot projects were. And it was run by the time at the time by Regina Duggan. And she actually used to run DARPA, the US DOD's advanced research group for a while. So the project's goal, and this was very vaguely revealed in 2017, was to create a system capable of typing 100 words per minute straight from your brain without requiring implanted electrodes or any other physically invasive techniques. So obviously, outside Facebook, we've seen a lot of progress in BCI in the past few years, most notably Neuralink. But a lot of the systems are still taking this idea of an implant. Even if it's a very kind of simple implant, there is some level of implanting an electrode of some sort. And sort of Facebook's goal in this project, their moonshot was they want to be able to do that by just having something with contact on your brain, like you see this kind of device here, but without actually being under the skin or even physically latched onto the skin. And so we didn't really hear anything about this for a while. And in late 2018, Building 8 was actually disbanded and a lot of their more interesting research projects were moved into Facebook Reality Labs. But last year, we did actually get a kind of technical, sorry, not last year, in 2019, we got quite a little bit of technical detail on how this works. And the idea is it's a near-infrared light imaging, which is used to sense shifts in the oxygen levels within your brain. And the basic concept I've heard to explain this is if you ever, as a kid or ever in general, shine a red light right through your hand, press it right up against your hand, you'll notice that you can see through your hand and you can actually see some of the internals. And to greatly oversimplify it, the idea of this project and similar imaging technologies is to use that and measure the shifts of light as they go through you and be able to make determinations. One of Facebook's executives, Mary Lou Jepson, who worked there for a while, has actually gone off to find a company using this same concept with the goal of replacing MRI and CT scans and bringing medical imaging costs down by 100 times. But Facebook's goal of this was just to use it to, in real time, read your the shifts in the oxygen levels within your brain to see what the neurons were doing. And they actually did seemed to make some progress in 2019. They were talking about how they could read a few words and some phrases, and this wasn't in real time. They actually had to pre-process it, and they had apparently a little bit of progress in real time. And they, they seemed pretty confident, and here was their quote in 2019. They said, A decade from now, the ability to type directly from our brains may be accepted as a given. Not long ago, it sounded like science fiction. Now it feels within plausible reach. That sounds very optimistic. But the news this week is that they're scrapping. That is not something that they as a company are going to be researching anymore. And how they talked about this is that they have reevaluated their objectives for their BCI research. 
And instead of head-mounted devices, they're going to put all of their neuromotor expertise into the wrist device that we saw earlier this year. And if you're not familiar with this wrist device, this is kind of Facebook's moonshot input device for at least AR, perhaps VR. And the idea is it uses EMG to sense the signals passing through your wrist to your hand and fingers, which would replace the need for the kind of optical hand tracking that we see now. So if I put one hand over the other, it disappears. If I put my hands at odd, odd angles, it'll, well, it's actually doing better than I expected, but it'll quite easily break and you can see it fly off for a second there. But their idea is that by just intercepting the neural signals coming through your wrist to your hand, through this armband, you don't have any of those errors and you can actually get extremely precise hand tracking. And the quote Ian's brought up here is that is from FRL's research director, Sean Keller, and he says it will be the core input for AR glasses. So we see this shift from Facebook from putting a thing on your head to read your thoughts to just being able to perfectly read exactly what all of your fingers and your hand are doing. And they say that because that input is so precise and so detailed, and there's so much you can do by even the tiniest little movement of your hand, even down at your uh, even down at your sides, you don't have to have your hand up in the air. They think they can deliver a really advanced input system that won't even need any of this other thing. So before you jump in, Ian Heaney, shining a light and reading stuff through the skin isn't that what the Apple Watch does currently for O2 levels and, and whatnot? Yes, there, there, that is an example of that on a very basic level. You think of the difference between that and this is like the difference between a laser rangefinder and a LiDAR. You're just taking the same concept and scaling it up and intensifying it in, to an extreme degree and reading along pixels instead of just doing input. You're actually trying to read an entire grid of those kind of signals and put them together and process it. And outside of VR, if Mary Lou Jepsen's company, Open Water, can manage to get this technology working, that's going to change the world. The idea of an MRI scan and a CT scan is going to be something that people can do in their own home or maybe in every ambulance or at any medical center. And the cost of medical imaging will come down quite a lot. Okay. Yeah, and that's a great question, Kyle, about the, the Apple Watch because Apple did release this sort of update to recognize basic gestures with just the Apple Watch. But to Heaney's point, it's... I think it'll be interesting to see over the lifespan of the next few generations of the Apple Watch whether the simple bands that they have now for the Apple Watch might get Appleified. So right now it's like you, the Apple Watch is this thing that sits on the back of your hand and then you've got an assortment of various uh, watch bands that you can get. But whether they could put some more smart tech into the actual watch bands to enable some of this next generation functionality could be pretty interesting. The quote I want to bring up is something that Mark Zuckerberg said. And he was talking in conversation with Andrew Bosworth on one of the recent discussions they had. Uh, we recorded it. You can find it on our channel. Search both their names, uh, Andrew ba Bosworth and Mark Zuckerberg. I think this was a... Twitter group chat between the two of them and we recorded the thing and posted it. Uh, Zuckerberg's quote is, in some ways, the holy grail of all this is a neural interface where you basically just think something and your mind tells the computer how you want it to go and that works. There's a bunch of research that we and others are doing into this. I think the key insight that our team has had, a lot of people, when they think about neural interfaces, 
they think about how can we understand what you're thinking? And it's not actually about that. You don't want to read the person's mind. You're not trying to understand what they're thinking. What you're trying to do is give the person an ability to have their brain send signals to the rest of the body about how this works. And we have a system that does this, right, with motor neurons where you can basically send signals to your hands and your body telling them when you want to make movements, how to control it. And it turns out that we all have some extra redundant capacity for that. It's part of our of the neuroplasticity. If one pathway gets damaged, your brain can get rewired. But you can train those extra pathways to control, for example, a second set of virtual hands. So that you can just think and like down the line, you have your virtual hands are typing and controlling what you're doing in VR and AR. And you don't need to actually have a physical controller or anything like that because that's awesome. Andrew Bosworth, the uh, head of VR at Facebook, laughed when Mark Zuckerberg said this because he recognized how uh, he was blowing the minds of the people paying attention and, and trying to catch up and understand what what Mark Zuckerberg was saying at this point in time. What I hear there is that if they ever do make a Mortal Kombat VR game, that being Goro with this <laughs> level of interface is a thing. That's amazing. Yep. So the, the thing that kind of gets me here is that it, Facebook has a PR problem in anything that it does. Because this research that, that they've done this week, that they, they funded at the University of California, San Francisco – they actually input that the University of San Francisco had a patient who volunteered to have electrodes implanted in their brain to regain, to, to test out this idea of regaining some of their ability to communicate. And Facebook helped fund and support with machine learning advice this University of, of San Francisco project. Yet at the same time, Facebook is pursuing products and lines of research that it doesn't want to implant things in people's brains because it Facebook as an entity and Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew Bosworth are aware that just the idea, the mere idea of Facebook implanting hardware into human bodies is just such a non-starter. They're going to go make delete Facebook trending on Twitter just the mere idea of it. So there's this quote in this blog post where Facebook is explaining this research project that is actually pretty amazing up at the University of California, San Francisco, where they that the UCSF restored this ability to communicate in this person with actual implanted hardware, where Facebook had to come out and say, to be clear, Facebook has no interest in products similar to the one we just funded at the this research project at UCSF. And then Heaney has gone to such great lengths here of explaining exactly how all of this works, to be clear. And here's uh, this quote from Mark Zuckerberg, where he's trying to clarify it's not mind reading, it's decoding the signals that you're sending your hands. And we actually get some incredible things by doing that. It, it, it all very much reads to me like a communication problem because they're working at the fundamental at a, at a realm that like nobody has actually done before. Like we're at this 
10 years now almost into VR and AR, and we're still having debates over what terminology we use when we're talking about mixed reality and you have things that are AR, kind of VR, what do we call it? This is on a whole nother level of defining terminology and explaining the way it works that you're just going to get instant future shock in a certain proportion, in a certain percentage of the user base that are just going to be freaked out on a whole nother level. And they're working to be clear about how all of this works, about what it doesn't do uh, as much as what it does do. And it's just a fascinating thing from my perspective of having to educate and not just educate, but define terminology for the users at home so that they can wrap their brains around this when it actually becomes a consumer product five years down the line. Yeah, I think this kind of touches on the question that I had to take my headset off there for a second because I was just so warm, but I don't know if you touched on this yet, but of why did Facebook cancel its brain reading kind of project? Why did it cancel its head-mounted hardware? And why is it focusing on the rest? Why not just focus on the rest in the short term and keep funding the head-mounted research in the long term? And I think this kind of does touch at it. It may be something where they are already a company that does not have the best reputation when it comes to things like privacy, when it comes to user trust. And Andrew Bosworth has been very clear that his kind of goal, or at least his stated goal and intention, is to work in the long term to build this kind of trust. And whether he achieves that is, is, a, is a debate in itself, whether that's even possible is a debate. But that is his stated intention, that he's trying to build this trust so that they can sell people hardware so that you eventually one day might want to purchase something from Facebook that you put on your face. And I think if they're trying to do this alongside something that's literally reading your thoughts, I don't think any amount of PR or careful, thoughtful, ethical kind of procedures are going to in any way be able to get around that fact. There's a certain point at which Facebook just can't really research reading your mind for long for too long without it harming the kind of reputation they're wanting to build here so i think while they're trying to make that distinction and it is a valid medical distinction as we were talking earlier and there is this distinction between the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system and you know, facebook <laughs> is hoping i guess that while if they are just reading the peripheral nervous system they're straying away from that ethical concern and i think that's what zuckerberg was touching at they don't need to actually go to the central nervous system to get the kind of information they need if you just want to be in VR or AR, where you just want to control things with your limbs and maybe you're, maybe perhaps in future they want to use some sort of advanced body tracking. Maybe you could put a leg band on instead of having an external body tracking sensor. There's a lot of potential they could do here with the same concept without ever having to get all the way up to your brain and get it to the very creepy invasive parts. I think that this needs to be said that there's a difference, and, and I can understand Facebook's hesitancy to go further in research in something that's being dubbed mind reading. The idea of reading impulses from your brain and your intentions for your body to do something is different than going, what is this person thinking about having for dinner tonight? Or what 
television program are they going to binge this evening? That That is more of your mind than it is your brain. And, and I think that there's a very close distinction. Even our own title of our own article is Mind Reading. It's <laughs> I, I, I wonder about that distinction between the mind and the brain. And Heaney has said it uh, several times during this episode. Is it brain or is it mind? And I think people do need to hear a distinction between those two things. The watching that wrist, I'm just going to call it the VR gauntlet. If they come out with that product, they might as well have just make it a gauntlet. Just all the way up the arm. Oh, that's fun to look at because you can't see it all the way down. But yeah, so the idea that it's going... Is this, do you think, is this some form of sensor fusion? I almost said that incorrectly. Where it's still using hand tracking along with this piece Mm. of hardware because I'm I'm watching the occlusion for the fingers and I'm wondering how this knows where my fingers are. It knows what my fingers are doing, but how does it know where my fingers are? If I stretch my fingers out versus being... As I recall, the researcher here said that it was all based on what is actually on the wrist, that what we're seeing in that particular test. There is no optical in any of this, but it knows, Kyle, because to to do that, to move your, to extend your finger, you have to send a signal. You think about the idea. I think this is the distinction Zuckerberg was getting. To move a part of your body, it's almost strange to say this, but you think about moving it almost without thinking and it moves. It's a strange kind of where does the consciousness in the sort of subconscious movement of limbs begin? I don't know, but this system is just entirely using that simply by reading those electrical signals. I don't even think there's an accelerometer in that it's going to know where it is. Now, I get what you're saying in the sense of how does it know where it is positionally? How do you Say you move your arm, not just the wrist. That part would be hand tracking. But all, of the, all that needs to do is really in the literal sense, hand tracking. I, I remember when hand tracking first launched, we had this debate of do we call it finger tracking or do we call it hand tracking? Because hand tracking could be just this as long as it knows the actual position of your hand. And the first five focus could only actually do hand tracking. It didn't know where your fingers were, but it knew where your hands were, which was very interesting at the time. So I think that's all they need. All they need is a very simple computer vision algorithm that can say where your hands are. It doesn't need, able to be, doesn't need to be able to see where your fingers are. It doesn't even need to be able to know any of the details of how your fingers are moving, as long as it can just say, okay, see your hands here, and this is what your fingers are doing. But it is an interesting question of what if they moved the band all the way up to the end of where it was almost a shoulder band? Could they do that without the optical tracking? And as I was saying earlier, could they put a leg band on and track your leg movement without even having to know where it is? It'll be interesting to see where this tech goes. But you can see that even while throwing away all that brain research, there is a lot they can do with just this EMG. Consider the idea that Consider the idea that inverse kinematics is such a pain and it's just so bad sometimes in some of these experiences. And I I wonder if this will kill off all the IMU-centered tracking systems and and things like pre-OVR and perception neuron, things like that, all the stuff that was tracking you based on your movement. Could they just make, hey, here's another example, reason why a vest is a great idea. Uh, A vest, and my avatar is wearing a vest because I'm very forward-thinking. This could technically instigate a product 
of a vest with two sensors on each arm, one on the wrist, one on the right above the, the elbow. And you could do pants and or shorts, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a skirt. I don't know. But yeah, we could definitely see that this is a whole hardware category that could come out and be and evolve into a new input system. I'm pretty bullish on this, to be honest. I, I think at the end of the day, what we're going to see is this combined with other sensors to to have that solution. That, that, that's why it was so key that Heaney and we talked about this, that in this particular video, yeah, they're just using the wrist-based stuff. But when you combine it with the optical stuff, you get this really incredible solution where I, I keep thinking about this example in my head where I maybe I put two fingers, put my hand behind my back and do that con, that test of like, how many fingers am I holding up? And I pull them out and there's the right amount of fingers. But like having the fingers represented behind my back, we don't do a lot of things with our hands behind our back. So you don't need to have the optical sensing in order to get some of the basics there. Like you could maybe still get the two fingers being represented behind your back and then get it even better when it actually gets in front of your body. And that would be an incredible solution for AR and VR handhelds. Like you could, or uh, AR and VR headsets where you get the best of both worlds there. You get some of the behind the back stuff and out of the view of the optical sensors. And then it gets just that much better when it goes in view of the optical sensors. And and that could be that solution. We really do see a couple of years down the line. I'm not so convinced that we'll get leg tracking or body tracking that way. Like uh, we do so much more on a day in day out basis with our hands than we do like around the house with our legs. Like I'm sure that they are doing studies uh, ah. at Facebook of just how often we uh, use our hands versus up. use our legs. But we also recognize legs, yeah. yeah. We also recognize that fitness is a yep. huge growing category for VR. Right, you're cutting off dance. You're, yeah. you're cutting off dance as a whole like genre of things you can do. And still Beat Saber and all these other rhythm games are such a big genre. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. it, it makes yeah, perfect I mean, sense. But just every yeah. piece of equipment you attach to your body is one is a smaller it's a smaller market share. Right. Yeah. Facebook is trying to enable you only buy the headset and you get a, you get that market. And well, I, yeah, yeah. I, I keep waiting for a game kick saber with feet tracking. I keep waiting for that to be a thing. And maybe they could put footballs or soccer balls, whatever, depending on where you're from. Uh, is this going to be something, do you guys think that will be a first party solution or will a third party will there be multiple solutions with this type of technology or is it always going to be owned by facebook and only and i don't want to say exclusive but only offered from them for their headsets I, to what heaney was saying earlier about andrew bosworth and facebook trying to give you the sense of privacy like making this very clear uh, message to all of its employees and then trying to tell externally we're actually a different company now than we used to be. Like that's Facebook's messaging and trying to make it clear that they are going to protect your data. Like that's, that's what they're trying to make people believe across the world. And I don't think they can necessarily do that with a third party, which is exactly third party apps are exactly what led to the last 
half half decade of bad news headlines for Facebook and all the delete Facebook trends is because they opened up their platform to third parties. See, I knew you were going to say that, Ian. Oh, man. I, I knew no. you were going to say that. Come on, eject button. Eject button. <laughs> Where's the eject? Here I go. Woo! <laughs> Love it. So yeah, this tech actually comes from their Control Labs acquisition, and they were a New York startup that had this technology, in, and they in themselves had purchased some of the IP from Mayo, the, I can't remember the company's name, but the Mayo band, which had this tech oh, before. Yeah. So yeah. I don't actually know of any other companies that are working on this, and we do know that Facebook is starting to build a, a patent portfolio on this. They obviously acquired the IP from Control Labs, and they actually had their own patent filings even before that acquisition of something similar to this. So it's difficult to know whether the competitors will go on to this. I don't even, I think Facebook has to prove it out first. You know, it's not clear. It's not obvious that this will be the input device for AR. That's just Facebook's claim. Maybe it will be, but I think it's going to be one of those things where competitors will need to be convinced. But what I really wonder is, can, you know, the missing thing here is obviously haptics. And we saw this isn't the only wrist-mounted device we've seen from Facebook research. We've actually seen another device that goes in your wrist called Taspi. And let's see if I can bring up the video for it. I think I can. And so Taspi is this idea, and I have to say of all of the pieces of hardware that there are out there that we haven't been able to try because either it hasn't been shown off or just the pandemic, this is the one I want to try the most because I'm so curious if this actually works as they say it is. So the idea is that by using the kind of right squeezing at the right time matched with what you're doing in the virtual world, they can create a convincing haptic feeling, even though it's only touching your wrists and not your actual hands and fingers. There are some, what you know, they're big. What do they call it? Substitution effect, something like that. Yeah, the substitution effect. The idea. Oh, there must be an image here that I can bring up. Actually, of that, I'll look for it in a little while. But I'm so skeptical to see if this works. I'm. I'm not saying I don't think it works. It's just one of those things that I won't believe until I actually try it. Yep. I have. Zero comments on this video. <laughs> I can read your mind, Kyle. I can tell yes, what's going on. Yeah, yes, no, don't. Thank you for censoring that. No. As a person who is very interested in new technologies and where it can go and hacking it and making it do things it's not supposed to do, there is one line that I do draw. And it's at wetware. I refuse to let anybody put any piece of technology into my brain or against my nerves for uh, anything other than saving my life. I, I, I don't. I, wetware. I don't want to plug into the matrix, so to speak. But anything that's outside of the body that is interfacing through my skin, I, I, I think I'm okay with that until the first person gets zapped and he's doing something or she's doing something and, it's like, and then poof and next thing you know it's crispy critters i would need to know that there are some levels of surge protection and things like that before i start letting electrical impulses pushed forward because one thing that i did read is that all this technology is unidirectional and that's very important to remember is that they're reading it but they're not injecting or pushing any level of information uh, into your nerves. And mm. I feel like when you get into some of this stuff where it's like making your hand squeeze or making your hand do stuff, it's not it you didn't intend it to do. That's uh, I personally draw the line there. I, I don't know what you guys think about that. 
Yeah, I thought that those are really interesting thoughts, very useful from for like where to draw the line. The thing that I always come back to is the overall kind of like system itself, if you wear it for long enough, it, it does become this feedback loop. They can learn enough about you to tailor your experience and become this kind of box. I think about this a lot with machine learning. Machine learning, I wonder if it doesn't allow for outliers, if it doesn't like it doesn't it, it, it tunes itself for averages and the way average it finds the average and really helps surface a lot of patterns that aren't recognizable but I, I i still wonder about whether that kind of um allows for the full range of ways people process reality and people the people that think differently about the way the world works and whether machine learning is going to fail some of those people in the long term. The thing I wanted, I was doing this thing before we got back to this and talking about haptic feedback. The reason Facebook has this gesture right now as the main gesture for interacting with its interface is because when you put your fingers together, you get a little bit of haptic feedback just by one finger pressing against the other. And that's the way your brain tells itself, oh, I'm done with this movement. Yet, when you're reaching forward and pinching things, like sometimes that fools the optical sensors inside the headset, which which can't really see that. And that's why I think Heaney's uh, image that he had just up a minute ago, which, can you explain, Heaney, what we were doing there? Because if you can do a sensation at your wrist at the exact moment that you're pushing something with your finger then you may be able to convince the brain that what you're actually pressing is an actual button. And it's not actually happening at your wrist. It's happening where you're pressing your finger with the button. And you combine those two things, that the grabbing things with this pinch gesture, and you're getting a little bit of haptic feedback from there with this wrist-based motion, you might be able to provide pretty awesome interfaces that way. Yeah, as you said, yeah the possibilities is- are endless. I was just going to say, as as you say, this is what they call sensory substitution. And as I was saying before, I really want to try it because it's one of those things. There are things in VR and in technology in general where there is really no way to understand it or believe it or accept it other than to try it. And I can tell that of all the kind of things, this sensory substitution idea is going to be one of them. Because it seems so counterintuitive, the idea that by just vibrating your wrist at the exact right time with the right frequency, you could press something in midair. And obviously, you're not going to feel a wall there, but you're going to feel in some way that you've pressed something physical. If they can deliver that in a wrist device that can be sold at a reasonable price, we've seen the information, the outlet, the information report that Facebook's going to start with a smartwatch and that may evolve into one of these AR, VR devices that has these kind of features in the future. That's going to be a stepping stone to gloves. There are going to be people I know right now that are going to hear or watch or listen to this and say, you know, it needs to be gloves. And they're right. This is not gloves. This is not going to be as good as haptic gloves. But until it is possible to ship haptic gloves, consumer prices that are actually compelling and provide that level of resistance, this could be the stepping stone that we need to do this and still be portable and practical and and not something that costs $10,000. Abrash had that comment a couple years back at one of the Oculus Connects where he said that there were, there seemed to be something interesting in uh, on the far distant future for haptics and hands in VR. 
And I, I really wonder if it's this uh, sensory substitution effect. I wonder if that's what he was alluding to years ago at Oculus Connect, that there is really that kind of possible route to good solutions here. I think it's possible, but I actually think he, I'm a bit more optimistic on that. I think just based on the exact context, he may have been talking about microfluidics. And if you remember a few years ago, we found a Facebook patent application where they revealed all these research approaches they take into this idea of how do you deliver haptic gloves at a consumer price? Because there are great haptic gloves out there today. And you, you can see YouTube ch- uh, videos of people using them and they're coming down in cost, but they're still in the north of $10,000 kind of fees in terms of the ones that actually provide physical resistance and, and haptics at the same time. It's, I think it's one of those things where if they can eventually get it there and they can find a technology to do this, it's going to replace one of those things. But I think Abrash was talking about one of these technologies like microfluidics. See, I think I have always said that gloves, I'm very excited about the concept of gloves. If they can take, yeah, there you go. That's, uh, I've used that one numerous times and look at that. Nice. But see, you can already tell that there's, there's going to be an evolution. Input is hard, right? We know that the idea of a resistance glove, along with that new little thing, doodad that goes on your wrist from Facebook, you could definitely see something very valuable coming down the road. We might be five, five years down the road. I, I always hate making those types of predictions because then like tomorrow, something will come out and I'll be like, ah, I said five years or it might be six or seven or eight years. And at that point, it's pointless to try to make those types of predictions. But I have used some of these gloves and I am very optimistic on what will end up coming out someday for all of us to use. So who knows? Maybe we'll just have a full on Ready Player One boot suit and just wear it underneath our clothing all the time. Mm. Who knows? I'm really curious about how detailed Facebook's kind of 10-year plan is amongst their Michael Abrash getting together with Andrew Bosworth and Mark Zuckerberg. And do they have a whiteboard session at uh, in VR now? I guess they would maybe do it in VR where they literally are planning out the roadmap going that far down the road, 5 to 10 to 15 years even. Because these products need to stand on their own when they actually come out. I'm seeing a lot of commenters here talking about maybe this will be the thing next year down the road. Like maybe this plus this will equal the next Quest 3 interface. And the problem in my mind is that these things need to stand on their own. Portal, as a video conferencing device, exists on its own as a standalone product that Facebook sells as as a video conferencing unit. It follows you around your room. It lets you do AR overlays to do a video chat. There is no integration whatsoever yet, yet, with the Oculus product category. You can't use it for mixed reality. You can't cast to it. You can't do body tracking with it yet. But all of those things are very obviously, in my mind, a huge benefit and will sell a heck of a lot more portals once they actually get that functionality worked out, then the same thing will be true with the wrist watch but that Facebook is planning. So Facebook has, it's known, it's out there that Facebook is planning a watch. But 
that product, again, is going to need to stand on its own as a, a thing you want to go out and buy as a wrist, wristwatch, not for its input functionality with a whole different product category at Facebook. It's going to need to have enough things that it stands on its own. But obviously, again, three years, five years, ten years down the line, there are clear benefits. And the reason I bring that up is because I think Apple, it's, it's such a good example of where Apple is so far ahead, right? They started with this Apple product watch category that was like, here's just a notification device. And then they started tacking on these things one after the other. Here's a health tracking device. Here's a calling device that's got cellular and you could actually stand uh, apart from your phone. It takes successive generations of these devices for them to actually build those things in. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of paths to walk with all of this new fun hardware and we don't know where it's going, but it's fun to speculate and discuss this. Do we have anything else that we want to add to this subject or have we beaten it to death? Yeah, I, I think we just got gonna, it for this week. Oh, sorry, I was just going to briefly mention what Valve was doing in this area. So it's not new. This is something we reported on much earlier this year, I think back in February. But it's just interesting to touch on it for anyone that's not aware. Valve is actually working with this company, OpenBCI. And here are a few examples of what they can do with brain reading devices. Because it's quite interesting now we see Facebook go away from head-mounted brain reading and Valve kind of go even in further to it. And, and we know that Gabe Newell is actually very passionate about this idea. And you'll see why when I, I cover these few examples that he gave. So he said it could help solve VR motion sickness. It could enhance immersion, such as increasing difficulty dynamically if a player is getting bored or feeling unchallenged. Or perhaps in a procedural game, if there's a randomized layout or something you dislike, it can change it to make it something you prefer. So this is a very kind of game-centric idea, this idea of not taking the specific words that you're thinking of, but just getting your mood, your emotions, your feeling of the content you're interacting with and adapting the content to work with that. So it'll be interesting to see if Valve can integrate this into some of their future headsets and maybe in the long term, that is Valve's VR special sauce that you're in this VR experience and instead of having to go through what a developer's designed and just hope you like it, they adapt it for the exact kind of player you are and we could see a kind of personalized gaming that we haven't even thought about yet so i I think that's very interesting to look back on those comments from february from valve just to see their approach to all this imagine valve putting out or even this imagine valve calling up a developer and saying hey so people playing your game 62 percent of the time they're bored. Here's some statistics <laughs> for you. That would be, gosh, as a, as a developer, that would be a terrible thing to know. <laughs> yeah. Don't know if that would well, go down well. Oh, it's funny. Uh, like that, That's a funny framing. Yeah, I like that. But it's also like it potentially they need to expand their APIs to give devs more information. Yeah, that would be funny to that would be depressing. But at the same time, you really could tune your experience with that additional information. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'll tell you what, this has been another fantastic conversation, a very active and lively chat. And, uh, you know, if you're a fan of this show, 
please come back every week, obviously. But also like, subscribe, hit the little bell, leave comments. Even if you're listening to this or watching this after the live broadcast, please leave your comments. We really do enjoy going through all of them and moderating them sometimes. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to be able to talk to all of you out there in the metaverse while we have these discussions. Ian, is there anything fun going on at UploadVR.com this week yeah. that we should be on the lookout for? We've got more new games coming out. All these things are we're, it's becoming almost a little overwhelming to keep up with because so many things are dropping unexpectedly uh, as devs get through either early access or they get approved by Facebook and they just pop up almost unexpectedly. So we'll constantly have new game news. And I do want to say, to, to add on to what Kyle just said there, I saw someone in the comments, maybe it was Andrew mentioning this. When we're live, it would be so helpful uh, if you shared the link out when we're live to get more people in here because I am so loving the audience interaction and the way we are able to host this conversation live with our audience is just i don't know anything else that's really able to do this kind of interaction with our audience we lo i just love it but getting this this link out live when we're live and being able to get more people in here for this conversation we want to make sure that vr is accepting for all the new people coming in here all the time and that they're getting good useful information uh and it would help us if you shared this link whenever we're live thank you Absolutely. Heaney, anything fun to report or anything fun to share? I would just echo what you've said. Th thanks everyone for watching. I would say if anyone's getting into Township Teal, which is a great kind of really made for VR RPG that came out recently on Quest. It's been out on PC for a while. But if you're getting into that, check out our guide on our, our website. Jamie wrote it. It's, it's great to know because it's one of those games that you get in there and you wish you had a wiki beside you, even though you can't really do that in VR. So if you're going to jump into that before you get frustrated, check out that guide. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to doing that myself. At some point this week, I am going to get into Township Tale, and I'm excited to use that article. I looked over it, and I was like, wow, this is really going to be helpful when I jump in to that game for the first time. So very exciting. All right. I think that about wraps it up for this week. So check out UploadVR.com. Go to our YouTube channels. All that fun stuff. And as I say every week, thank you very much for watching. We'll see you in the future. So long, everyone.